Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. It's always a privilege to have you in our listening audience, and we pray that this radio ministry is a blessing to you. If you enjoy the programs here on Words of Grace, we would love for you to take just a few moments out of your week to send us a message and let us know that you listen to Words of Grace. If you're a new listener or you've been tuning into the broadcast for some time, either on the radio or via our podcast or church website, we would simply like to know that you're out there. You can go to flintriverpbc.org, that's our church website, and find a variety of ways to get in contact with us. We love hearing from our listeners, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Our broadcast today is entitled The Doubting Thomas, and obviously from that title, you can imagine that this message is going to be taken from the account of our Lord's interaction with one disciple, a doubting disciple, one that we might be tempted to refer to as cynical or pessimistic, because when he learned from the other disciples that Jesus had risen indeed, he made such an outlandish statement as to say that he won't believe unless he can put his finger in the hole in Jesus' hand and put his hand in the hole in Jesus' side. In other words, saying, I won't believe that he's come back from the dead unless I have absolute physical proof that he is indeed risen. Well, as you know, Jesus would manifest himself to them several times following his resurrection, and as he sees Thomas face to face, he does confront him for that lovingly, which results in one of the most beautiful scenes in the four Gospels, when Thomas sees that indeed Christ is risen. This message is a part of our ongoing series through the 40-day time period between the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and you can find videos of these on our church Facebook page, facebook.com slash Flint River Church, or you can watch all of these messages unedited on the marchtozion.com YouTube channel. We hope these are a blessing to you, and we hope that you enjoyed today's message, The Doubting Thomas. If you recall, since Easter Sunday, we've been in a series on the 40-day time period between Jesus' resurrection and ascension. In Acts chapter 1, we learn that Jesus actually spent some 40 days with his disciples, or rather, appearing to his disciples sporadically between his resurrection and his ascension. And if you just had the four gospel accounts, you might miss that bit of information. If you didn't have 1 Corinthians 15, you might miss the detail that Jesus appeared to some 500 brethren at once prior to his ascension. As we have observed in this series, beginning with the message after Easter Sunday, these sisters come to the tomb and they find it empty. Jesus isn't there. But there are two that are there. Two angels that tell these sisters that come to anoint the body of Jesus that they're seeking the living among the dead. Jesus is not there, but Jesus is indeed risen. They run back to the disciples, and to the disciples, their words seem as what? As idle tales. They go back to the disciples who reject their word. They think that these women are, are telling fiction, but these two men among the disciples, they run to the tomb, Peter and John, John arriving there first, and they find the tomb empty. 
They don't find Jesus there. They simply see the grave clothes that are laid in the tomb. They return to the disciples, and as we shared with you, Mary Magdalene is there mourning over Jesus' missing body and everything that had happened in their lives, their world being turned upside down just three days earlier. And Jesus appears before her and manifests himself to her. And that's the first time he would reveal himself to a person following his resurrection. She runs back to the disciples, and as you know, the eleven reject her word as well. And so you have the account of the two on the road to Emmaus, which is what we talked about last time. Jesus appearing before them and beginning with Moses through the prophets and the Psalms, preached himself to those men. At the last, as they arrive, as they eat, he reveals his identity to them. They see that it's Jesus. They say, did not our hearts burn within us? And they run all the way back to Jerusalem and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. But if you remember the word that we emphasized, he's not merely risen, he's risen what? Indeed. What they're saying is that what you have heard from Mary is true. What you've heard from the angels is true. Jesus is risen, and he is risen indeed. That's where we pick back up this morning in our series on the post-resurrection accounts of Christ. As we consider one such who missed this grand revealing, a man that is known as Thomas, also called Didymus, a man that we have come to use proverbially for someone who has doubts, a man that we might be tempted to call the Doubting Thomas. We'll begin reading in John chapter 20 and verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, as you know, in Luke chapter 24, we actually read that they're all eleven, they're present in this locked room as the two from the road to Emmaus rush back. And that detail is recorded in Luke chapter 24. Since Thomas isn't there, that's not a contradiction. But rather what this means is that at some point after when these men arrive and begin to say that Jesus is risen, Thomas excuses himself. Perhaps he's, and this is conjecture, this man, by his nature, perhaps he's annoyed at the concept. He, as you see following this, this man is cynical. He's pessimistic. He doesn't believe it. He rejects the testimony of these disciples even after they have seen Jesus. And so perhaps when these two from Emmaus come running back and they begin telling that Jesus is risen, maybe Thomas is annoyed and he leaves. Maybe he goes to get food. Maybe he has some family to take care of. We don't really know. We know that he was not there. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. They were terrified. He then tells them, look, it's me. I'm not a ghost. They believe it's a spirit. Put your hand here. Look at my hand. Look at my side. And then as they're overcome with unbelief for joy of what has happened, Jesus asks for food. And he begins to eat in front of them, revealing that he's not a spirit. He's not a ghost, but he's in fact the risen Lord Jesus Christ. All of that miracle Thomas was missing for. Which, by the way, that tells us that when we miss something in the presence of Jesus, we are the ones who suffer for that. You see, what if Thomas were there with the rest of the disciples when Jesus revealed himself to them? He would have seen all of that. What happens when something amazing happens in the house of God, but I'm not in the house of God that day? 
I'm going to miss something. Every time we have an opportunity to be gathered with God's disciples in the presence of Jesus, if we miss that, we miss something that we could have received otherwise if God is there. Thomas is absent. And so when Jesus came, he's not there. But these other disciples said unto Thomas, listen to this, verse 25, we have seen the Lord. We have seen him. Mary saw him. We went to the empty tomb and the angels told us he was risen. The two on the road to Emmaus have seen him. But now we've all seen Jesus, the risen, victorious Christ. But what does Thomas say? Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas basically responds with pessimism and cynicism. Now, I want you to latch on to those two words because so many times that's the reaction of God's people to good news even today. Do you find yourself being a cynic? Do you find yourself being a pessimist? You know, if somebody tells you, you just need to go to the Lord and pray about that, is the first thing that pops into your head, well, I guess it can't hurt. So many times we respond with the attitude that Thomas has. In our minds, we might excuse ourselves, well, I'm just a pessimistic person. You know, the glass is always half empty. Some of you that are optimists, the the glass is half full. Some of us might be wondering, what's in the glass? We're more the realist. What's in the glass? Is this water safe? Has anyone touched it? You know, we just finished COVID season. Anyone else drink out of that? I don't know if I want to share a glass with you. The, The old joke is that the optimist invents the plane and the pessimist invents the parachute. This man, Thomas, is a pessimist and a cynic, but I want you to know that there's a different word that Jesus applies to this man's response. It's not pessimism and it's not cynicism. But I want you to hold on to that as we continue to study this example together. Thomas basically says, until I can put my finger into the hole in his hand, I'm not going to believe. And unless I can put my hand into the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were within. Again, they're within a locked room, a closed door. And just like before, Jesus came among them and stood in the midst. Now, I love that John emphasizes the doors being shut, okay? If you think that this Jesus that spoke the world into existence, that raises the dead by simply speaking, that he stands at your door of your heart and knocks and he can't come in unless you open the door, then you don't understand the Jesus that this Bible talks about. Because when the door is shut twice, Jesus doesn't knock on the door. Can you let me in? I stand at the door and knock. I'd like to be in. If you'd only let me, Jesus merely enters the room. He appears before them because Jesus does what he wants when he wants because he is God and God is sovereign. Now, there's a passage in Revelation 3, verse 20, that talks about, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. But that's not talking about the door of your hearts, friends. That's talking about the door of a lukewarm church. I hope the day never comes that Jesus is the only one who attends here that's standing outside knocking on the door. 
I would to God that Jesus were in our midst every single Sunday. But as it relates to the door of your heart, understand, first of all, before you're born again, there's nothing good in your heart. It's desperately wicked. It's foolish above all things. Jesus doesn't just knock on a heart. No, he takes away the hard and stony heart. And he gives a heart of flesh. He doesn't need our permission to do anything that it is that he would endeavor to do because he is God and God is omnipotent. God is sovereign. If it is his will, he shall bring it to pass. Jesus appears in the midst of them, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and he says, Peace be unto you. Now, I've reminded you in this series that as Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, there are three things that he would say to them, three types of statement. First of all, Jesus rebukes the disciples, namely for their unbelief. They had every reason in the world to believe that Jesus was going to rise again. Why? Because he said it over and over and over again to the extent that as those liars that tried him sought out false witnesses against him, the false witnesses referred to his body being destroyed and risen again in three days. Destroy this temple, I'll build it again. And the enemies of Christ knew that he would say, knew that he said he would rise again. And so they stuck guards at the tomb for three days following his crucifixion. All the unbelievers in the world that had heard him understood that he taught this. And yet his very own disciples missed the point. If that doesn't tell us about our own fickle, frail minds, I don't know what will. These men didn't get the point. And so when Jesus would appear before them, one of the things that he would do is rebuke them. Another thing that Jesus would do every single time is comfort them. Peace be still. Peace be unto you, as we read in verse 26. And as we'll find in the continuation of this series and future messages, Jesus would command them to go and to preach and be his witnesses, his martyrs in the world. If you pay attention to enough gospel preaching, you'll find that gospel preaching basically falls into any of those three categories. We rebuke, we comfort, and from God's word we command. Jesus reveals himself in the midst. He appears and he says, peace be unto you. Now, Jesus knows what Thomas said, even though Jesus wasn't physically there in the sense that you and I are physically here this morning when Thomas said what he said. But Jesus knows what he said. Why? Because Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus knows exactly what Thomas had said. And so when Jesus appears before them, he doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't let it stand. I love how every single time when Jesus reveals himself to one of his disciples following his resurrection, the things that they've struggled with, he corrects. He rebukes because he's a shepherd and these are his sheep and he cares for them and he loves them. He just can't let it go. And so immediately when he appears, notice how he confronts Thomas lovingly, but he uses the very words that Thomas had said in what he would call unbelief just eight days before, a week before, to rebuke him. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Thomas was there. Notice this in verse 26. Thomas with them. And he saith unto Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Now, we might be tempted to call Thomas's words cynical. 
We might be tempted to call Thomas's words pessimistic. Oh, I just don't believe it. It sounds too good to be true. I won't believe it unless I can look at his hand and put my finger in the hole of his hand or put my hand in the hole in his side as Jesus was crucified and pierced with a spear not days before. Be not faithless, but what? Believing. Thomas' sin was not merely cynicism. It was not merely pessimism. It was not merely the word that I like to use in the house when I'm having a bad day, and and we all probably as dads have a word such as this. I like to say grumpy. Isn't that a nice G-rated word for being a jerk to your family? I'm just a little grumpy today. The way that mom would always say that about my dad was, well, he just didn't have enough coffee today. He's not merely cynical. He's not merely pessimistic. Thomas is dealing with unbelief. We like to, you know, whitewash it, blanket it with some sort of a mantle of excuse or something. He's not just grumpy or cynical or pessimistic. He is acting in unbelief. Now, to be very clear, this man Thomas is not an unregenerate. He's a follower of Christ for three years that's been casting out devils by the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. He was a believer. He loved Jesus, and his whole world had come crashing down when Jesus was crucified. He didn't understand what had taken place at the crucifixion of Christ. And his response, though to him, oh, it's just too good to be true, his response is one of unbelief. One of my favorite statements in all of the New Testament is when that father came to Jesus wanting healing, And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. If you believe, and the man says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. To know in your heart, like the two on the road to Emmaus, your heart burns for Christ, but in your mind, don't you struggle from time to time? That's exactly what Thomas is going through right here. And Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, I've had it with you. Just get out of here. Just leave. Get on. You know, we've gone from 12 to 11. Now we might as well go from 11 to 10. Does Thomas do that? Does Jesus do that to Thomas? No. He shows up and he says, Thomas, look. He gives him exactly what he needs, but he also uses the very complaint that he issued to set him straight. Thomas, look at my hand. Look at my side. Be not faithless, but believing This was the response of unbelief. Thomas, though he had been struggling in his faith, Jesus tells him, look, see, it is me. Put your finger in this hole in my hand. Put your hand into my side. Now, I have no idea how much Jesus had healed, if it was a scar, if it was back like it was before, if it's a complete hole that's healed up. Look, I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet, Thomas. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Now, Thomas isn't saying that as a way of taking God's name in vain, whereas one might say, OMG, in today's time. And let me just charge you, young folks and old folks, we're not to be OMG people. When, when something falls off the table and lands on your foot, you don't say the Lord Jesus Christ's name in vain as if it were a cuss word. 
Thomas isn't saying, my Lord and my God is in, well, goodness gracious, he's alive. No, he's confessing the deity and the divinity of Jesus. Because these men knew that Jesus is the Son of God, and to be the Son of God is to be one with the Father, consubstantial, as we like to emphasize here. Not one iota of difference between the two in their nature. Co-equal, co-eternal. This is verily God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, the second person of the Godhead. And when he sees him, Understanding he has risen from the dead, his resurrection declaring him to be the Son of God with power, he exclaims, My Lord and my God. You see, the word Lord is interesting. A Jew would supplement as they read the Old Testament in Hebrew the word Lord for the word Jehovah because they counted it too sacred to say. So it's not a stretch then to say. In fact, he might as well be saying, Jehovah, my God, it's real. And he stands before me incarnate in human flesh. My Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, and my God. If anybody ever tells you Jesus never claimed to be divine and none of his original disciples believed it, you just look at him in the face and say, you've not read the Bible. And if you had, it wasn't a real one. Now, what does Jesus say to him? Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. It took seeing to be believing for Thomas. How many times have we heard that statement? Seeing is believing. How many times have you heard, don't be a doubting Thomas? Probably as many times. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed art they that have not seen and yet have believed. I want you to understand this morning that those of you that see him not with the physical eye as Thomas to believe, but see him through the eye of faith and believe you have a greater blessing today than Thomas who required the physical evidence of the resurrection to believe in Jesus. Now there is countless physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus in terms of the historical record No one denied that Jesus lived, that he was crucified, that he rose again until modern times. They spent the last two millennia trying to explain it away because it's undeniable. There's evidence, but I want to tell you that you and I understand that Jesus is risen by faith. Faith being Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything that you understand by faith, you understand by Christ who has authored it and finished it in you as a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And everything that you know about him, you understand how. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, as Hebrews chapter 11 says. There's a greater blessing experienced by those who believe without seeing than those who see to believe. Now, just to be brief, I want to expand upon this blessing for just a moment. It is a blessing to believe. First of all, those who believe, and we'll stay with the book of John. Those who believe, believe because they are recipients of grace. And by the way, if you're a recipient of grace, understand there's no such thing as provenient grace 
where you've got a little bit of grace that enables you to believe, but it's not really enough grace to save, and you've got to act on it to get the rest of the grace? No. The grace of God brings salvation, according to Titus chapter 2. If you've received grace, you are saved to the uttermost. Those who believe, believe. Verse 13 of John 1, because they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Understand, beloved believer, you believe because Christ lives in you. As Ephesians 1.19 says, we believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Resurrecting power has enabled you to believe. What a blessed individual you are. You're a miracle, a recipient of grace, one who was dead and yet now is alive. You are a resurrected person, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Once dead in trespasses and in sins, but now alive in Jesus Christ. As believers, what we know about Christ, what we know about the truth, continues to sanctify us. This is the blessing of a believer. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In a practical sense, we have continual growth in sanctification, fitness to be used by God. Spiritual maturity, knowledge and discipline through continuing in the truth of God's Word. As a believer, you experience continual growth and sanctification as you continue to grow. As you continue to learn, you experience growth in your sanctification. Is that automatic? No, it isn't, which is why it's an exhortation. And number three, as a believer, you experience continual assurance of your salvation from this Word and through the Holy Spirit within you. When you read John 3.16, what point do you get out of that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is that telling you? That if you're a believer, you don't have to fear death. Now, it's not a proposition. It's a declaration. How do you believe? Because you're born of God. But, beloved, if you believe, that ought to assure your heart and comfort your mind and soul so that you know when you breathe your last breath in this world, you don't have to fear what happens to you after you die because you're promised over and over again in this Word that if you know Him and you love Him, it's because He first loved you. It's because you're born of Him. And if you're born of Him, heaven will be your home. The believer is blessed because the believer is promised and assured that everything will be right with him. John 5, 24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Notice the present tense of that hath. Hath everlasting life. And shall not future tense come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. If you believe, it's going to be okay. Your belief testifies to the fact that you're changed of God. And over and over in Scripture, these promises are made to those that believe. John chapter 6 and verse 40. This is the will of Him which has sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. 
Now, you know John 6, you know, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You know, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me from verse 37. But that's not our text for today. What I want you to get out of that passage is the sweet comfort that, beloved, how blessed are you. You're a recipient of grace. Blessed are those which believe without seeing. You're a recipient of grace, and you are comforted throughout the Word of God that as you die here in this world, your soul lives on with Jesus, and your body will be raised again. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.